How are you? Hey, it's great to see you. Um, what a big few weeks we've had uh, with DNA. I've been here every week, Monday night. Tomorrow night is our last one. And uh, I'd encourage you, that boo that it's over or boo that it's a, yeah. So it's amazing. I really want, if you haven't been to any of them or if you've only been to one or whatever your situation is, I'd love for you to make your way out. It would be so good to have you there. Um, I do the platters and uh, Candy's done the platter for today and so there's a bit of a platter off. So maybe we can have a secret vote after tomorrow night, uh, Candy or Phil, so see see who wins. Um, Candy's has Cabana, so that always wins in my book. So, oh, look out, there you go. Hey, um, I just want to welcome some of my colleagues. So Taylor and Joe. Taylor is the assistant creative pastor at our Modbury North Campus and, um, as you can tell, is a, is a gifted man of God. And uh, we're so oh, – I didn't know you were coming, so I was pumped that you're here. Um, and uh, Joe as well, his beautiful fiancé. So uh, that's new. And uh, have you set a date yet? No, not yet. When it, when it happens, I'll tell you, you're all invited. Um, so uh, would you do it here in Infused Church? Uh, ah, look out. My father, my father owns the cattle of the th- in a thousand hills. So there you go. And also Gabe, uh, Gabe Trainer, one of the legends from our youth group, and also part of our worship team. And you were leading worship last night at uh, at uh, Stadium Twenty Two. How was that, Emily? Was it good? How many people do do we think were there? How many young people? Three thousand. Man, that's amazing. You know, the future of the church is in good hands. 3,000 young people coming and worshipping their creator, knowing who the, who made them, who's giving them life and who's got direction and value and purpose for their life. Well done. Um, you're awesome, Emily. Um, it was a good night? Fantastic. Great. Um, so if you've got a young person, we've got Youth Alive Conference coming up a little bit later on, but if you've got a young person, why don't you make sure they know Emily, make sure they're in youth group on Friday nights, make sure they're coming to Youth Alive Conference. It's such a great thing to invest in our young people um, and uh, we're going to have a good morning. Hey, before we go on, Sam, I understand you're, you're making a move um, soon to, to Kadena, is that right? You know, as a family, um, I'd love to just pray for you and just to bless you on your way. Why don't you, if you're okay, jump to your feet. If you're around him, part of the team, why don't you go and just stretch your hand out, lay your hands on him as he makes this move. Holy Spirit, we thank you for Sam. We thank you for the man of God that he is. And we ask, Holy Spirit, in this season of transition that you would bless him mightily that you'd pour favour out over his, over his life, Father, that things would go smoothly, that the move, the transition and everything that could hold it up would, would go smoothly, Lord God, and that you would call him blessed and that you would call him favoured and the next season that he walks into, Lord God, would be a bright one, would be greater than any season that he's gone before, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, we pray blessing and favour over his life in the name of Jesus. Won't you go before him, prepare the way, make a way, and we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And church said together, Amen. 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 We love you, Sam. You're a legend. Come on, why don't we give God a hand this morning? Um, I feel like the front row is empty, so um, can you three move over here? <laughs> just because there's Dean. Just move those papers. 
There we go. Is everyone, everyone okay with where you're seated? Um, there's more seats over here now, so if you're in the back and you want to come forward, that's all right, that's enough shuffling around for me. Hey, Taylor. Oh, hey, Joe. Hey, Dean. The Reverend. My favourite Reverend. Um, the re- favourite Reverend Doctor. The only one I know, so there you go. Hey, if you're new here this morning and we haven't met, it's so good to be here. Um, you know, our churches together, LifePoint Church and Infused Church are on a journey of coming together and becoming one big happy family. Um, and so I'm from our Modbury North campus, but I feel like this is becoming my second home. Um, so yeah, I still haven't found the key to Pastor Gary's office, but we're still working on that one. Um, <laughs> but it's so great that you're here. If you're, part, if you're new to the family, if you haven't been around for that long, I'd love to meet you after the service and say g'day and um, Candy and Paul will make you a hot chocolate or a coffee or whatever you need. I'll just be out in the cafe. Why don't you come say hello? We'll get you whatever you need. You can take a handful of cabana and, and Jats crackers um, and then vote tomorrow night after DNA. So there you go. Um, but let's jump into the Word. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. And he says, Finally, my brethren, dramatic pause, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the Apostle Paul and he's writing to the church that he planted in a little town called Ephesus which doesn't exist anymore. There's The ruins are still there. There's the the amphitheatre and the Temple of Artemis which is one of the wonders of the the ancient world, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. uh, Ephesus was and the remains still are on the uh, western part of Turkey, closer to Greece and you can still visit it today if you ever take a tour through there, the town itself was abandoned in the 15th century. But the, the church in Ephesus were engaged in a daily battle. You see, there was a, um, a struggle of physical persecution. There were the Jewish leaders of the time. And as you read throughout the book of Acts, you read about the Jewish leaders that were persecuting the local church. I mean, they beat up Paul pretty well several times threw him in jail several times. But there was the Jewish uh, leadership that were persecuting. There was the the local townspeople that were persecuting them because the religion and and Christianity was upending the the natural law and order of prophets that the local local, uh, business people were bringing in loads of money and the church was undermining that with their gospel of love. And then there's also uh, the the actual government. There wasn't an overall... um, persecution in that time in the Roman Empire. There wasn't an empire-wide, but there was sporadic persecution in different areas. And so the Apostle Paul, who's himself writing from jail, 
writes to this church and gives them this strategy on how to stand. You see, for the church at that time, um, you know, as, as we're looking at physical persecution, Paul sort of gives this really simple way of being able to fight back against everything. First, he says that we're not fighting against physical principalities and powers, but it's the spiritual world that we're fighting against. But he says naturally and simply that all we need to do is stand. And he says stand, and then he outlines uh, six key areas about how to stand, and he uses this picture of the Roman soldier. Um, you know, I've seen Gladiator many times, so I consider myself an expert on Roman times. Um, and, and uh, you know, to, to someone living in that season, in that, you know, this is AD 60, you know, only 60 years after the birth of Christ, about that time, you know, they would know exactly what a Roman soldier looked like because they had a military government. They were under military occupation. You see, Rome was the name of the city, but the empire was the, the Greeks, the Turks, the, the in Egypt. Like it was everywhere, and those places were under military op- occupation, and there were Roman soldiers everywhere. So, when Paul's talking about shodding your feet and all these different things with the gospel of peace and da 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 da, the the people of that time would have known exactly what that is. But I mean, I had to do a little bit of research, so I sat down and watched Gladiator again. Um, as we do the research, but you know, if you were to bring it into a present-day analogy, you know, one of the great battles that I have, being someone of fairer skin and of red hair, my battle is against uh, the sun. The sun doesn't like me. The sun isn't a friend of mine. So um, we have the Apostle Paul writing the book of Ephesians. I have Sid the seagull, who gave me a great way of being able to protect myself from the sun, um, and that is to... Slip, slop, slap, and then seek and slide. Um, there was only slip, slop, and slap when I was a kid, but now they added seek and slide. So what are you going to do? You're going to slip on a shirt, slop on sun cream, slap on a hat, seek shade, slide on sunnies. It's as simple as that. You know, Sid the Seagull is great at giving us an easy-to-remember analogy on how to protect ourselves from the great enemy that is the UV rays coming from the sun. But here we have Paul giving, a, giving a, a, a clear picture of what it is, to, what it takes to be able to stand. You know, one of the things is that we first of all need to realise that when we fight, we're not fighting a real physical enemy. You know, sometimes it may appear that way. It may appear that we're fighting the bank. It may appear like we're fighting our husband or wife or our children. You know, it may appear like we're fighting the school or the government and who knows there's been... You know, after COVID, there was a whole sort of kickback against the government and we're fighting against the government over all sorts of different things, you know. We're always in this physical fight, but what Paul tells us is the fight isn't in the physical, the fight is in the supernatural. We're not fighting the banks, we're fighting the enemy. We're not fighting the government, we're fighting the enemy. This is why when Jesus was hanging on the cross... At the, end of the, at, the, at the end of his season of ministry, he's hanging on that cross and he's able to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because the enemy wasn't the Roman government. The enemy wasn't the Jewish people, but the enemy was the devil. And even though he was using them, they weren't the real enemy. You see, the devil, it says in John 10.10, 10, says that he comes to kill, steal and destroy. But I, Jesus 
have come that you might have life. You see, the enemy in your life is the devil. It's the devil that wants to bring a division in your family. It's the devil that wants to see you addicted to drugs or addicted to pornography. It's the devil that wants to see your finances torn apart. It's the devil that wants to see you and your wife fighting and eventually separating. Because what happens is the devil comes and all he wants to do is to kill, to steal and destroy. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your school, whether it's your job, whether it's your relationships with your family, it's the devil. It's not it's not anything else, but it's Him. And so when it comes to these battles and we're fighting these people and we're fighting uh, all of these different things, the way that we fight them is listed here by Paul. And I believe that Paul gives us this clear strategy and that is to stand. You see, every time that you stand, what you're doing is you're saying to the devil, this territory belongs to God. As a husband, every time that you stand for your marriage and choose to love your wife, you're saying that this relationship belongs to God. As a parent, every time that you choose to have your children in church and you choose to pray for them, you're saying to the devil that my children belong to God. Every day when you, when we're tithing and we're giving our first fruits to God, we're saying our finances belong to God. The enemy isn't the devil. And what we do is when we take a stand, when we choose to stand, We're saying that this territory belongs to God. You may have taken this, but no more. You may have come up to here, but no more. You may have taken this, but you're not taking any more. Today I make the decision, I am going to stand. I'm going to stand for my grandkids. I'm going to stand for my children. I'm going to stand for my finances. I'm going to stand because the battle belongs to God. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is giving us the instruction manual on how to stand. Because saying stand and then doing and actually standing are two different things. And Paul outlines six keys to standing firm that we're going to look at today. The first one is the belt of truth. Verse 14, Paul says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist, with truth. You see, this isn't just a belt that goes around and, and holds up your pants, um, which is still very useful. Um, I'm making use of that today. Um, but this belt of truth, this is a belt that's strapped around the entire body, around up your torso, up your thighs. And what it did is in Roman times, when they're wearing this belt, it would hold everything else in, in place. And Paul is telling us that we need to intentionally wrap ourselves in truth. Not just on a Sunday, but every day. If we want to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy, we need to stand every day wearing the belt of truth. That means that on a Sunday versus a Monday, we can't be two different people. When we're at church or when we're at home, we can't be two different people. We need to be someone of honesty and integrity. You know, we need to be someone that, that, that has no chink in our armour. And it's so I'm, I'm, I'm so deliberate, I'm working hard on being the same person at home as I am at church. You know, the last thing I want is for my kids to see someone at church who's holy and holier than everyone else and is a great guy. And then when I get home, I'm thumping the table and yelling and 
demanding to have my way. You know, God calls us to practice this, not just on a Sunday or not just when we're in our secret place, but in every area of our life. He's calling us to live a life of truth. You know, I find that when I do lie and, and you know, as a kid, you know, we sometimes, and, and, you know, we all sort of have those white lies, but yet telling a lie or, or, or misrepresenting the truth, to me it's like trimming your moustache. Um, if you ever, if it's a gentleman um, and maybe some of the older late, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> now, if you've ever trimmed your moustache and you accidentally trim a little bit too high and then one side's higher than the other, and then you've got to go, oh, well, then you've got to, like, trim the other side to even it up. And then that one goes a little bit too high. And then you've got to trim the other side. And soon you end up with no moustache at all. Um, lying and, and, and misrepresenting the truth is like that because when you tell something or when you keep something secret or you keep something hidden or you have a, a dark place in your life, you have to be able to overcompensate in one area. And then you find out that you've got to create a lie to cover the lie to cover the next lie to cover the next lie and you're keeping track of all the different lies trying to keep on the straight and narrow and trying to keep what it is hidden from everyone else. It just creates more work for all of us and as Christians we're called to be honest and truthful. Colossians chapter 3 starting in verse 9 says, Don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to to the image of him who created him. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbour. You know, one of the greatest things that we can do to protect ourselves so that we can stand firm is to be people of honesty and be people of integrity. Let our yes be yes and let our no be no. You know, we're called to live in the light. We're not called to live in the darkness. And what happens sometimes is I'm able to say I live in the light, but there are areas in my life that I think, no, that's just a little bit that no one needs to see. That's my little bit that I'm going to keep hidden. That's my little bit. It might be my something dodgy in my finances. It might be something dodgy online. It might be something secret, some secret shame. And what happens is when we choose to keep that hidden, that becomes the very thing the devil uses to attack you. It's the very thing he uses to pull the rug out from under your feet so you can no longer stand. We're called to live in the light. You know, Whatever it is, you know what it is because whenever it's brought up, there becomes that, that knot in your stomach and you're working fast to think, how can I cover up? How can I make this conversation end? You know, whatever that is, whatever it is for you, it's time to bring it in the light. You, know, you need to talk to someone. You need to tell someone. You need to bring it in the light so that God can uh, keep you standing strong every single day of the week. We've got a great team of people here. You've got great pastors it's time to have a chat. It might be your husband or wife, but it's time to live in the light. Today, choose to put on the belt of truth. Choose to bring light to the darkness. Six keys to standing firm. The first one is to wear the belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, there's two types of righteousness. There's, there's justifying righteousness and then there's sanctifying righteousness. Justifying righteousness is that moment when you get saved and you repent and you ask God into your life and you give your life over to Him, in a moment and in a flash, you're made right with God. Just as if you'd never sinned, you are made right in the eyes of God because of Christ's death, 
burial and resurrection because of what He's done for us. You were made right. In that moment, you were made right with God. That's why the thief on the cross, when he placed his faith on God in, in Jesus, in that moment, he had no opportunity to live a good life, to do the right thing, to get to church, to be out of tithe, to do all the things that we consider the right things to do. But in that moment, he was made right with God and he was able to be with Jesus in heaven. That's justifying righteousness. But we also have sanctifying righteousness. Sanctifying righteousness is that idea that I'm not where I used to be, that every single day I choose to take a step to become a better person than I used to be. Justifying righteousness isn't just about being made right with God. Sanctifying righteousness is about right behaviour, right actions, Walking every day with holiness and integrity. You know, it's not that we're saved and then we can choose to carry on living the same way that we've always lived. You know, it's not that we're able to still be be at home and 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 treat our family as if we're not saved. It's, it's not as though we're able to go to our workplace and be able to. You know, I remember when I was eighteen and nineteen, and I first gave my heart to God, and it was new. I was. Someone who lived almost a double life. You know, on Sundays, I grew up in a small town in Sejuna and I'd be um, leading worship in church on a Sunday. But Saturday nights at the footy club, um, you know, I played footy uh, all day. And then at night, I'd be in the footy club, you know, drinking too much. And so I was living a double life. But God can't allow that to go on for too long. And it says sometimes that we need to put away our old life and walk in the new life. You know, we need to intentionally every day work towards being more and more Christ-like. What does that look like? It looks like in our finances, choosing to act with integrity. It choose, means with our, with, our, with our wife and with our children and with our husbands, treating them the way that Christ loved the church. It means acting in righteousness and integrity in all of our dealings. You know, one of the things that I, um, I use as a barometer or a, or a measurement for my own life is, you know, you might know me as a Sunday, as a as a Sunday. That's me, the Sunday feel. But what do my work colleagues know me as? You know, what is it? What am I known as down at the footy club or, or wherever it is that we spend our recreational time? What do my family know me as? You know, it's about that sanctifying righteousness. It's about choosing every day to get better. And you know, the thing is, is we're all on a journey, right? We're all on a journey to being more and more Christ-like. It's at step by step. Day by day, decision by decision, choosing to walk in righteousness and integrity. You know, it's when we come up against that same decision that we've made every week. It's going, hang on, I'm going to choose something different here. It's about when we get up in the morning and normally maybe we flick open Instagram. It's about choosing to put that time aside and reading the Word of God. It's about acting with integrity and holiness in every area of our life. So when the, when the enemy comes and the enemy attacks us, those secret and hidden things aren't the things that he uses to beat us over the head with. You know, um, Jesus says in, in Matthew that a tree is known by his fruit and it says in verse 20, it says you can identify a tree by its fruit so you can identify people by their actions. You know, what do people identify me as? What's the fruit of my life? Am I someone who's a carrier of peace and of joy and of love? Or am I someone who carries chaos and dishonesty and, and poor integrity 
in the way that we operate. God is calling us to live right with him. When we stand firm wearing that breastplate of sanctifying righteousness, of right living, the attacks of the enemy will ultimately fail. Because when the enemy comes to you and he says, no, you haven't nailed it in this area, Um, you're still falling short. You're not a good parent. You're not a good husband. You know, and the devil does. He comes and he whispers in, in, in our minds. I mean, we've all sort of experienced those attacks of the enemy. The thing that you're able to do is to stand and say, you know what, maybe I'm not the best husband, but I'm better than I used to be. And by God's grace, I'm getting better every day. You know, I may not be perfect in my finances. My workplace might be a little bit of a mess, but it's better than it used to be. And it's getting better every single day, step by step. Day by day when the enemy comes and he whispers in your ear and he tells you you're not good enough, that you won't make it, you say, you're right. Maybe I'm not good enough, but God is. And with him, day by day, I'm going to make it. Six keys to standing firm, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and third, the shoes of peace. Paul says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, the shoes that the centurions used to wear, you, you might have seen them on Gladiator. Um, <laughs> you know those sandals and they would wrap up around their ankle and they would really strap in and they would really hold on tight. But those shoes, those sandals had uh, hobnails underneath. You know, if you saw a pair of football boots um, with the with the rubber spikes underneath, that's what they had at the bottom of their sandals. You know, those sandals had three purposes. Obviously, one is to keep them comfortable. But those sandals did three things. First of all, when they've got those sandals with the hobnails on them, when they're standing shoulder by shoulder with their, with their fellow soldiers and the enemy is fighting and the enemy is coming, that they would be able to put their feet on the ground and assume the stance and these hobnails would dig into the ground and they'd grip in. So when they're pushing against, uh, the enemy is pushing against these Roman soldiers, they'd be able to stand firm in the battle. You know, the second thing they did is, is they would help you stand firm, but they would also leave an imprint. You knew where a Roman soldier was because wherever he walked, they would leave an imprint uh, in the ground, in, in the sand, in the mud, whatever it is, and you'd see the imprint of these hobnails in the ground. You know, as Christians, we're called to stand and stand in peace, but we're also called to leave an imprint of peace wherever we go. You know, whatever the situation is, whatever we walk into, we're called to change the atmosphere. You know, we have to be carriers of peace. So when you walk into a room, there should be a shift in the, in the atmosphere. And when you've been in a room and you walk out, and someone walks in, they should be able to sense that peace that you've been able to leave in there, that imprint of peace. You know, growing up, I had a, had a dog called Dusty. Um, she was um, full of everything. I don't really know what type of dog she was. Just one my dad randomly brought home one day. My Dusty was an outside dog because Dusty was very dusty. Um, but, you know, my mum always felt so sorry for Dusty the dog, and then whenever it rained, she would every now and then she'd she'd let him in, and he'd run she'd run around, and you, there's nothing worse than wet dog smell. Um, there's nothing worse than a dirty dog that's wet, running around the house, and we'd be, you know, like chasing her to get out, like trying to get her out, but for for hours afterwards, 
when you walk in, you knew what room Dusty the dog had been in because there was that wet dog smell everywhere that we went, you know, um, and it was awful. You'd have to walk around with a Glen 20 and try and get rid of the Dusty the dog wet smell. Um, you know, that's, that's what it's meant to be like for us. You know, as we walk around, as we're in rooms, that we would leave an imprint of peace. You know, when we're at home and with our family, that we would be carriers of peace that we would be the one that leaves an imprint of peace. When we tuck our children in at night and we leave the room, that we would leave an imprint of peace. When we're at work or we're in the kitchen at work or whatever it is, uh, someone's in our office, that they would sense peace. There wouldn't be chaos. There wouldn't be confusion. There wouldn't be fear or anxiety, but there, there, would, there would be peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Now, we need to be people that convey peace, that we leave peace, that our words are full of peace, that our emotions are peaceful, that our, that our actions and our behaviour are carriers of peace. When we choose to stand in peace, it impacts every single person that you come into contact with. Now, those hobnails also had a, a third use when a soldier walked on those famous Roman roads, those cobblestone roads, when a garrison or, or, or a legion of Roman soldiers walked together in unison, each footstep that a thousand soldiers would make with those hobnails on would make a tremendous noise. And as those, that legion, as that garrison was walking towards the enemy, you could hear that sound miles away. You could hear the sound on the cobblestones of those hobnails coming and they would know the Roman army is coming. And then before the battle is even fought, before they'd even uh, set up to fight the battle, the Roman army had already put fear into the enemy. You know, as we walk as a community of peace, as we choose to walk, each one of us, with our shoes of peace on, we, we create a noise. We create a sound that puts fear into the enemy's camp. As we become known as that church that is a safe place. As we become church that is known as the place of peace, it begins to put fear into the enemy's camp. We're going to move a little bit more quicker um, through the last few chapters because I just want to um, have a time of ministry at the end. Six keys to standing firm, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace and the shield of faith. You know, Paul says in that verse in, in Ephesians, above all, taking the shield of faith, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The first thing that the devil will want to do is he'll want to take away your faith. He'll want to strip away your belief that God has his best intentions for you. He'll strip away your belief that God's got it in control. He'll strip away your belief that God will look after your family. He'll strip away your belief that God's going to look after your finances. He'll strip away your belief that God is a healer, that God is a provider. He'll strip away your faith. You know, Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, it's impossible to please God without faith. You know, one of the things that I've found is that it's impossible to live without air. Um, if you stop breathing, you end up dying. Um, Six years of medical school. No, I didn't. I just watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. Um, I don't know why. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. So, um, so, you know, people that are struggling to breathe, if you've ever seen someone choking, 
and trying to get air in their lungs. They will do anything possible to be able to breathe. You know, I've watched enough doctor's shows to see someone ram a, a, a pen through someone's throat so that they can breathe and get, you know, do a tracheotomy. You know, you'll do amazing things and extraordinary things to be able to protect your airways, to be able to protect your ability to breathe, and, and even as far as cutting your throat so that you can get air in. And in the same way, we need to be able to protect our faith. I need air like my life depends on it. Your ability to stand and to be able to fight depends on you being able to hold your faith. We need to fight for our faith just like we would fight for air. You know, we need to get God's Word for our situation, get a promise for our children, hear God's voice for our ministry, for our finances and for our family. Faith is the thing that believes that, that God has got something greater in the future than He does for me now, whatever the area of your life. And faith is the thing that pulls that uh, future reality into the present. Faith is the thing that brings healing that may be available ultimately when I get to heaven, but healing is available for you today. Provision is available for you today. God will provide. God will look after you. Faith is that thing. And that's what we need to protect. The first thing that the devil will do is that he'll come and he'll try and knock that shield of faith out of your hand. That you didn't tell you you didn't hear God's voice properly. That what you read doesn't apply to you. It applies to someone else. But I believe that God's healing is for you today. I believe that God wants you to prosper today. Six keys to standing firm, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, shield of faith, and then the helmet of salvation. You know, um, when I was a kid, I grew up in church, but um, I used to visit my grandma. I lived in Sejuna. My grandma lived in Tetra Gully, my grandparents. And in the, the room that we would sleep in, in the spare room, they had this big bookshelf, and down in the bottom bookshelf, the bottom of the bookshelf, there were these end times comic books. And so they were like um, uh, just comic books about what's going to happen after the rapture and after the tribute in the tribulation. And you know, there was pictures of these people coming and burning all the Bibles. And you know, like it's the sort of thing that attracts a kid but also traumatizes. Um, <laughs> Every time that I visited my grandma, I just repented again. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I trust you. You know, like I'd be giving my life to God. You know, one of the things that the devil will do is he'll, he'll try and strip away your belief in your salvation. The reality is that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you are saved. You have moved from darkness to light, from death to life, the, death, the devil is defeated, the devil is a liar, and you don't have to walk under that. The thing that he'll do is he'll try to undermine your salvation. And we need to constantly be reminding ourselves that the devil is defeated, that he is a liar, that I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm healed, I'm delivered, and I'm on my way to heaven shouting victory. It's an old song. You know, you are saved. The helmet of salvation. Now, that's the thing that will protect you. Ultimately, you need to protect yourself and the devil will come to you and he'll whisper to you and you need to be able to tell him, back off, buddy. I'm a child of God. I belong to the King of Kings. Six keys to standing firm, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. If the band could join me, that would be fantastic. Thank you, Taylor. Taylor. It says, stand therefore, 
having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And sometimes we interpret this scripture as it being the Bible, you know, the, the Bible. You, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. Um, when we read this particular passage of scripture, it's not talking about the Logos, but it's talking about the Rhema, Word of God. It is the specific personal Word of God for you. It's the specific personal Word of God for your family. It's the promise of God that He gives you in your quiet time. It's the promise of God that He gives you when you're worshipping. You know, sometimes you might even just be seeking God and you're praying and, and God gives you an assurance that, that everything's going to be okay. You might be reading the Word of God and you might take that Scripture. It's about then applying that. What does that personally mean for me? You see, these previous uh, elements are defensive. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, they're defensive. When the enemy comes at you, you're able to stand firm because you've got those things in place. But this is the only thing that the, that the Lord gives us to be able to actually fight and to begin taking ground. You know, I remember when I was uh, a teenager and I went to so, lots of youth camps and I'm so passionate about getting along to a youth camp and intentional time with God. It was at a youth camp that I was prophesied over that I'd go into ministry. It was at a youth camp that God called me to preach. It was at an, a camp and a conference that God put that in my life. So I, at the age of 20, I decided to make that trip from Sejuna to Adelaide. I went to Bible college at Paradise um, and did two years of Bible college and then um, expected to step out into my destiny of ministry. Uh, I thought there might be churches lining up all over the place wanting to get someone as gifted and as anointed as me. Um, I ended up, my first church was McDonald's. Um, worked there for three months. And I worked, uh, went in and started working at a call centre for four years in, for Telstra. Finally, year after year, I, it wasn't until the end of 2016 that I stepped into full-time ministry. You know, for those years, it's easy for the devil to come and attack and to say, you didn't hear from God, right? You know, those people were just pandering to you. They didn't hear what God was saying. That call of your God isn't real. But it's every day choosing to get up and say, you spoke it, God, I receive it. I'm walking in it today. God, you said that my, my future was in you, that I was called to ministry. I'm walking in it today. Whatever the promise is that God has given you over your life, you said that my children would be saved and they'd all be here worshipping with me, then I'm going to walk in that today. I'm going to make that my declaration today. If it's for your family or your workplace, God, you've called me to see a revival in my school. I'm going to walk in that today. I'm going to take another step. I'm not just going to stand and hold my ground, but I'm going to take a step of action and of faith. And whatever it is in the area of your life that God has given you a promise in, which called in that instance, not just to stand and to wait for the attack and to defend the attack of the enemy, but we're called to go on the offensive. We're called to take that Word of God and speak it into life. And when the devil fights, when the devil comes against us, we get to stand and we say, God has called me. He knows me by name. I am a child of God. 
Do you believe it this morning, church? Why don't we take a moment and stand to our feet this morning? This is the type of word that would apply to every person in every situation, whatever you're walking through. I don't know everyone here. I don't know your journey. But I know that the devil attacks every single one of us. And you might be in the middle of a battle right now. You might be in the middle of the trenches and the trench warfare is going on and you're getting hammered day in, day out. Today's the day to choose to stand. Today is the day where you say, no more, no more devil, no more devil, no more devil. You're not coming against my family. You're not coming against my children anymore. Today is the day that I choose to stand. You know, I want to go back into a time of worship and I actually want to sing Raise a Hallelujah. It's beautiful though. You're doing a great job. Dean, you're amazing. You could probably play sport really well as well. So just one of those guys that can do everything. Reverend Doctor. I want to sing Raise a Hallelujah because this is the response. That we're in the battle. We're in the trenches. We've got a fight to fight. That it's time for us to stand and to be able to declare God's goodness and graciousness over our life. That even though the enemy may come, I'm still going to raise a hallelujah. Even though my family and my marriage might be in trouble, I'm still going to raise a hallelujah. Even though my finances might be in trouble, I'm still going to raise a hallelujah. So this morning, whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, we're going to lift our hands and we're going to take a moment to declare the goodness and grace of God over our life and over every situation. So why don't we take a moment, let's close our eyes, let's lift our hands and let's worship the King of Kings. Thanks, Taylor.